Welcome to the Realities of College Recruiting Podcast, where our team of former college coaches, players, and MLB scouts tackle the most critical college recruiting topics. With guests including college coaches, MLB pro scouts, and industry insiders, we will empower you with the tips and strategies needed to gain an advantage in your college recruiting process. The Sports Force Podcast is powered by our partner, Five Tool Baseball. Okay, let's start the show. It is March 30th, 2020. Um, obviously, we've been dealing with, uh, you know, an unprecedented situation and circumstances with the coronavirus, COVID-19, um, whatever you prefer to call it. And college sports, high school sports, youth sports, professional sports, everybody has felt a massive impact. And we're going to dive deep. And I got an awesome guest that I've known for over 20 years who's joining us tonight. And He's not only a wealth of information, but um, this guest here, Mike Rooney, was a former college player at Notre Dame with Patrick Murphy, legendary college baseball mm-hmm. coach who actually coached me when I was at Arizona State. And then uh, Coach Rooney was also uh, the assistant coach when I was at Arizona State for my senior year. Um, prior to coming to Arizona State, Runes, as the college baseball world knows him, um, Coached at Malvern Prep, uh, powerhouse out of Pennsylvania, products like Ben Davis and many others. And then coached seven years uh, and was part of the ASU Arizona State program. And then was the head coach at Phoenix College for three years. Runes, what's up, bud? What's up, Viney? How are you, man? Oh, you know, just uh, quarantined up, you know, out here in uh, La Jolla, San Diego area um, and living the dream, right? That's right. Well said. What a day, by the way, in your intro. I didn't, it's, uh, it is, it is, this is like a monumental day for college sports, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's just been so much speculation on what's going to happen. I think everybody's emotions have been drawn into, you know, what's going to happen relative to the season and then the season gets suspended and then schools start canceling the season. And then, Players are thinking about recruiting. Coaches are, their heads are spinning, dealing with players leaving campus. I mean, it is just, it's been, you know, an onslaught of different, uh, you know, series of events. Uh, I'm just curious, as you've tried to put some sense to this, and we're going to talk and and really dive deep into kind of the NCAA ruling uh, that just came out today, literally about three hours ago. Um, And, but you know, I'm curious, how have you been staying kind of connected to the game, you know, because you live, eat and sleep, you know, baseball? Yeah, I would say I, um, yeah, it, it's, I, I, so if you follow me on Twitter, you can see the nonsense where I've just been watching nonstop college, college baseball, baseball on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And that has been kind of fun too, where, you know, it, it's been a time, at least for me to reflect on, gosh, like, why do I love college baseball so much? And, um, at the same time, I'm reading a book by Baseball America called Head of the Class, where they just take a year-by-year look at college baseball. So, you know, this is normally, for all of us, uh, for me particularly, a, a, just a crazy busy time, you know, day job, and we do a perfect game radio show on Mondays, and then the travel for ESPN, and it, it's, it's an awesome, crazy time of year, and now it's like nothing. And so, <laughs> in, and everybody's like that, but... um it's just been a cool time to think back about some of my favorite memories. Um, you know, watching the college world series with my dad as a really little kid and then, you know, getting to go to the college world series as a broadcaster and, you know, the, the eighties in Omaha, I mean, just everything. So it's been, it's been kind of wild, but I think to your point a second ago, the other thing that's been fairly crippling about all this is man, just so much uncertainty. Like what about eligibility? What about the draft? Um, And it's, you know, it was kind of disconcerting in that college baseball has so much momentum right now. And just you were heartbroken for those kids that you worried about would never play again. And and, and there still will be some of those kids. Um, You were heartbroken or I was heartbroken for the sport. Just feeling like, man, we're really on the move here. But, um, you know, today's a good day. Like today's a day where we get some clarity and it's there's no perfect solutions to such a complex problem. But um, at the same time, I feel really good as we sit here and talk right now. Absolutely. And I didn't 
bring this up in your in in the intro, but um, how many years have you been covering, you know, Division One college baseball with ESPN now? Yeah, this is crazy, Bonnie. This is my twelfth, or was going to be my twelfth season with ESPN doing college baseball stuff. That's awesome, and obviously the games exploded. So many more games on on TV than ever before. Um, so we're in a we're in a good spot as a whole. We just got to get back on track. And I think what the NCAA did today was a pretty powerful statement in terms of, I think, how they're trying to, you know, have some quality uh, self-preservation, you know, for not just baseball, but obviously other the other spring sports that really got, um, you know, just, you know, we'll say sidetracked or just, te- you know, yeah. te-owned in terms of their season. Um before we dive in, just any any kind of, um, you know, opening thoughts in terms of, uh, you know, what you thought about how the NCAA stepped up today? Yeah, I mean, I thought, I mean, I, believe me, Andrew, I get really irritated with the NCAA. And, and um, so I think this is a time where I've always felt this way about the NCAA. I think they're awesome at running championships. Like I just, as a player, as a coach, um, as a observer of college baseball, I think that when student athletes play in the NCAA tournament, you feel like a, a big leaguer. You know, it's it's an unbelievable experience. I just feel like the other stuff they really struggle with. And um, man, this was this was amazing. I thought for sure they were. You know, the NCAA typically tries to have a one size fits all, and they went, they run eighty nine different championships. So that's a, that's a big group. But I I, I thought that. They, I'm just shocked by what they did. And what they really did is they gave the autonomy to the schools. And the other thing that's really interesting, the group that has grown just immensely in their influence in college athletics is the student-athlete group. You know, the, the, the rumor is that the Student-Athlete Advisory Committee, which is a, it's a national committee that they, they take student-athlete leaders across all sports, that group wrote a letter to the committee, or to the Division One Council, I should say, and it, it the rumor is that that group really influenced this decision. And I love that they gave the autonomy to the schools. Um, I think that was the right decision here. And again, it's not going to be perfect, but I think they're going to give the not every school is in a position to help these kids financially, but yep. some are, and they're going to let the ones that can do it. And so that maximizes the help we can get for these kids. That to your point, we're kind of just sideswiped in their, you know, in, in their spring season. And I think that's absolutely the right way to do it. Absolutely. And uh, you think about uh, we've we've been talking to different uh, coaches at every different level, pretty much every day as a staff of um, with our, within our organization. Um, and we had heard some Power Five conference schools kind of, you know, and coaches being really concerned about how they're going to handle rosters, how they're going to, you know, allow some guys to come back and what that, what those implications are relative to their, to their recruitment and their upcoming classes. And then, you know, you throw the draft in there, it just becomes like (laughs) a series of, I mean, baseball is already so damn complicated with 11.7 and the draft and trying to juggle your numbers every single year to get it right. Um, But um, yeah, why don't we, uh, why don't we start diving in on, uh, on, on the ruling and we can just, you know, tackle maybe piece by piece because, you know, the general sure. layperson out there, the parent, the coach, uh, the committed player, the height, the college kid already, you know, everybody's looking for just more and more clarity on even what was, um, you know, decided today. So I'm just going to read a couple things and then let, we'll just go back and forth a little bit. So, sure. um, so, yeah, you know, just reading straight from the NCAA website, you know, the Division One Council voted to allow schools to provide spring sports student athletes an additional season of competition and an extension of their period of eligibility. Um, and so allow schools is a key word, right? Um, mm-hmm. Which you talked about in terms of the autonomy. Um what do you think? And I don't, I'm curious, have you talked to any, any coaches in the last kind of, you know, few weeks uh, about how they're looking at all of this and, uh, uh, you know, and, and, th- and some of their thoughts? Yeah, I would say um, getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, just even talking to a couple people this afternoon when this came down, you know, the, for your incoming players, and, and I'm speaking baseball specific now, 
for your yep. incoming student athletes and for your underclassmen, it's kind of business as usual. Those kids, you know, the, the, the kids were on your team last year. They come back as the same eligibility grade that they were. Um, yep. Your incoming kids come in as freshmen or junior college players, however they come in. That group is going to have to be at 11.7 scholarships, and we can come back to that. That's easy yep. to say. It's going to be a little bit trickier next year because of the draft. And then your seniors are just kind of an add-on. If you had seniors in there, and the way they're defining senior here, as I'm understanding, is senior means you're in your last year of eligibility. Those kids come back with one more year of eligibility that's reinstated, and you can scholarship them up until – what they were on this year for the 2020 season. But you get to choose as the school. So like if Mike Rooney was a senior on, in, on your team and he was on 40%, you can do zero, you can do up to 40%. And you know the other thing is in today's college baseball, your underclassmen, you know, your non-seniors, there's no jockeying around of scholarships. Whatever they were on last year, they're, if they're coming back to your program, that's the number they need to be on again. Yeah, and you know how they fund that is something that was also brought up in. So we'll just dive into that. So members also adjusted financial aid rules to allow teams to carry more members on scholarship to account for incoming recruits and student athletes who've been in their last year of eligibility who decide to stay. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, right now in baseball, we have two roster rules in that regard. You are allowed to have 35 men on your roster that you submit in the spring, so after the fall. And then you're allowed to have 27 players on baseball scholarship. Now, that starts in the fall, as I understand it. So, yep. you know, you can imagine with these seniors coming back and with incoming kids coming in, um, you know, you're going to be, in theory, you're going to be over the 27-man limit. So, uh, you know, and as I understand it, they did not put a number on that, Andrew. They just said, hey, yep. like, whatever that number is, your seniors plus your incoming kids plus your current team, it, it is what it is. Yeah, and it seemed like they alluded to something saying uh, in the Division One Baseball, the D1Baseball.com article about something to the effect, and I can read it a little, a little bit later, um, if you had nine, like they gave TCU and, and, and Schloss mm. an, an example, you know, with nine returning seniors, you know, in essence, you got those uh, th those nine slots back. Um, Correct. Yeah. So, you know, but um, absolutely. So I want to read while we're on talking about seniors. I'm going to read from uh, the article that Kendall Rogers posted, and I'm just going to pull up his little tweet here. And this was part of the you know, student athlete advisory committee um, that submitted this letter to the council. So part three of their article said returning seniors should have their scholarships renewed and those scholarships should not be counted toward financial aid limits. And then it goes on to say many sen senior athletes have expressed financial strain and an inability to return without scholarship protection. Eligibility relief should be accessible Roster limits and competition fields uh, should also be expanded to accommodate returning seniors and incoming freshmen. Yeah, it's, it, you know, for me, Andrew, they did absolutely the right thing for the seniors and really for everybody. Yeah. You know, if, if we got baseball specific on this thing, you know, think about, see, here, here's the other complication for us in college baseball is pro baseball, you know, the draft. And, you know, you know this as well as anybody is, you know, for the college coaches, you're trying to juggle your roster and your 11.7 scholarships. And you you're the draft is affecting your roster on both sides of the funnel. You have your seniors who are going to leave. You have your draft eligible juniors who some are a talent level where they should probably get drafted and signed. Others may choose not to do that. You nowadays you have draft eligible sophomores. And then how about your incoming recruiting class? Some of those kids you feel like, oh, for sure they're coming to school. Other kids you're feeling like, I don't know if they have a good high school spring season. They're probably going to get drafted high enough to sign professionally. So I think where, where I'm jumping ahead and I apologize, but here's where it's going to get tricky. These college coaches were basing their 2021 rosters on two things that they couldn't predict. One was 
these seniors just moving on. Mm -hmm. And the other was a 40 round draft. Yep. And, and, you know, not all 40 players selected by every team sign, but, you know, 40 rounds is a big draft. This year's draft is going to be between five and 10 rounds. I'm sorry I'm jumping ahead here, but it's hard. They're so interconnected. But so think about that, Andrew. So, you know, these high school kids, I mean, they barely open their seasons in most parts of the country if they did at all. So how many if the draft ends up being five rounds, how many high school players are signing? So if I have a recruiting class of 10 kids and I, maybe I thought six of them were going to show up, it could yep. be nine or 10 of them show up. And then, you know, same thing for my draft eligible juniors. So that is going to be the tricky part. And I think there's one more piece of legislation that's going to have to get woven in here, and that is the one-time transfer rule. Because I think, in fairness, hey, this is families, parents, you know, players, coaches. We were all assuming a 40-round draft, and now if it's five or ten rounds, you know, rosters look significantly differently. And I, I think, in fairness to everyone the one-time transfer rule where you can move on to another school and not have to sit out a year, mm-hmm. this is a time where it makes sense to reinstate that, I think. I agree, um, and for a number of reasons. And, you know, you think about, and just to be clear, when Rune says the 2021 class or 21, 2021 season, um, he's referring to the 2020 graduating class that would be part of the 2021 season. Yeah. So for seniors right now in high school, for, you know, transfer eligible, you know, just junior college players that can move on um, and then even potentially, obviously, you know, potentially transfer eligible. Um, I mean, we have a player in our program because we work with different athletes that are going through the recruiting process where their division two program literally just the school's closing down. So. it's Concordia up in Oregon, a, D, a D2 program. Rob Vance is the head coach, great dude. Um, but that school, yeah, they're, it, it's closing down. So, you know, there's just a lot of uh, – that's kind of even a, a, a different curveball. But, um, you know, it's it, it's definitely going to be interesting. And I think to, to kind of maybe calm the fears of, you know, that 2020 class is at least – you guys are in a position where the NCAA has said, hey, we're not going to you know, put roster limitations in place that are going to make it um, just you know, prohibitive for you even to go to that school. And then secondly, if you're already committed to a national letter of intent, a binding scholarship commitment from a Division I program, um, at this point, we, we have no concerns for the athletes that, that we work with that that would be pulled or changed or jeopardized um, based on anything that we've heard to date from college coaches and, uh, you know, based on everything that the NCAA has has shared and published as well. Yeah, and I think, Andrew, it's one of those things where it's, um, hey, you know, baseball is a competitive thing, as we know, and if you're going to play Division I baseball, it's the highest level of amateur baseball. And, you know, it's, it's going to be competitive. Even if none of this happened, it's competitive. And, you know, I, I think transferring is hard on student-athletes. It's hard on families. But it's like a lot of things in life. You know, you change jobs. You move your family. It's the, 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 the change is a little scary. But I, I always think about, you know, Ian Kinsler was a kid that we had at Arizona State. And Great mm-hmm. kid. He transferred in January, which you can't do anymore, which I think is a good change. And, you know, ended up transferring to Missouri. And, you know, I mean, look at the big league career that Ian had. And it just, you know, being at Arizona State, we, Pedroia was there at that time. It just, you know, wasn't, it was um, by no fault of, I would say, anybody. It just didn't work out. Sometimes that happens. And Ian goes on to Missouri. You know, he gets a great opportunity. He goes there with a scholarship and makes the best of it. I think for the families that are, you know, because I, I, I'm with you, Andrew. If, if I'm a 2020 family, it's a little scary. I would say this, you know, you're going to get a chance to go somewhere and compete. And then it's made the best man win. I think that brings out the best in you. And I think if the NCAA does the right thing with the transfer rule, you're, you're going to have opportunities um, 
to move on. And, and, and I would say this as to put a bow on that. It's one of my favorite things about our sport collegiately is if I'm not mistaken, there's like 1600 schools that play baseball. And if you really love the game, you're going to find the right fit. You know, it, I think it's just to, to feel like one school is the only place where I can play college baseball is that that's not true. There's just, there's, there's a lot of opportunities out there and this is going to be a little, it's going to be a little disjointed at first, but I, but again, I think it's, it's, um, you know, there, there's still a, a lot of schools out there that are going to put nine guys on the field. And, and, um, I, I think it's, it's going to work itself out. Yeah. And talking about that, you know, college target fit or just finding the right fit. Um, it's something we're always, you know, discussing as an organization, as a team, um, and with the families. And I think more than ever, this is probably a time for families to really take a big step back and look at what am I really looking for in terms of my student athlete experience um, at the college level. Mm -hmm. And I think players are starting to value um, more things in terms of because they're seeing how the transfer portal and candidly some over recruiting, you know, mm -hmm. has con continued to happen. Um, I think players are becoming much more cognizant and I hope parents will follow um, in that theme is that where's going to be the right place for you to thrive, you know, as a young man or young woman, wherever, wherever you go um, and really set yourself up to get an awesome education to build, you know, a great four or five year window of your life and those formative years where you can be surrounded by, you know, great coaches and mentors and leaders and the culture fits with the, you know, with the sports program, the culture fits with the school and, and try to just line up those, you know, those, those core uh, decision factors um, as opposed to just chasing the brand name of a university and, you know, hoping that all the stars align for you. Um, I think, I think people are getting, you know, a dose of reality uh, to look at things and reflect a little bit more than ever before. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on, Andrew. It's it's really, you know, sometimes I worry, and this, you know, may sound a little overly, you know, I don't mean to be overly critical, but, you know, sometimes you, you see someone pick a school and you're like, man, was that about, you mm. know, did you pick that because you could post it on Twitter or did you pick that because in your heart of hearts you felt like that's the mm. right place for you? And and sometimes I worry it's more about the Twitter post than it is about the 40 year, you know, the 40 year yep. experience that changes the rest of your life. And, you know, I, I mean, I, th I think about Tim Corbin when, we're, when you were speaking, you know, Tim Corbin played division three baseball and had an awesome experience. And, you know, now he's a hall of fame division one coach who's won two division one national championships. And, you know, I don't know if, if he didn't have a great division three experience, does that even happen? So, I think it's, um, you know, it, it, and it, it's easy to say it's hard to execute, but just being extremely real as a family, hey, what what are the things that are going to help our son thrive? You know, what what kind of school, what kind of staff, mm -hmm. what level of baseball, um, you know, all those different things. Is, is being a role player and a bench player okay, or is that not going to be the, the right thing? So um, I'm with you 100%. It's, it's a really difficult decision. I, I feel like for families, it's a lot coming at them. It's kind of almost like an out of body experience recruiting. Mm -hmm. And, yep. um, and, and then you blink and it's over, but it's, um, man, it's, it's just, just having the, the wherewithal and the confidence to say, Hey, this is not about what people think of our decision. It's about what we think of our decision. That's the most important thing. hundred percent. And, um, We'll we'll wrap up that with just one final thing on kind of the portal, right? With the advent of the portal, it has opened up, you know, a different animal in terms of college recruiting. And, you know, we talk with college coaches all the time. And candidly, there are some coaches that are licking their chops more than ever before to see what players are going to be available, you know, on the portal, um, you know, to put together the potential <laughs> potential dream team, you know, for this next year. I mean, I, I yep. know some I know some college coaches were saying there might be some programs that literally fast track, you know, from let's say a, you know, a, a program that's in that, you know, 50 to 150 ranking 
that might just put together based on how they're positioned, you know, a, a, a portal class of, you know, three impact guys, a catcher and two arms. And next thing you know, you know, you're in a super regional and you're, you know, your school might've never been there before or haven't been there in a long time. Yeah. And I, I would tell you, Andrew, you know, back in the day, you know, when you were at ASU and I was coaching there is, you know, there were times where we had bigger rosters and it's, you know, I would say when, when people are talking about the one-time transfer rule um, where, you know, again, right now in baseball, as we sit here tonight, if, if you transfer from a division one school, you really, you either have to go down in divisions to two or three, or you have to go to junior college and graduate before you come back to division one. If they change that to what they call the one-time transfer rule, where you can transfer division one to division one, one time, and you're yeah. eligible to play right away. What happens to me is schools, people worry about poaching, you know, that, Hey, yeah. Arizona state's just going to go through the mid American conference statistics and say, okay, I'll take, Miami of Ohio shortstop, and I'll take Kent State's left fielder. And that might happen a tiny bit, but here's the reality. If a, if a, a, a player and a family are happy at Miami of Ohio, it's going to be hard for them to leave there, regardless of what they think of Arizona State. Now, yep. if it's a good player and they're miserable there because it's a bad environment, then, hey, that's – then, yeah, that, that player's probably leaving. But I think what it really does is – you know, just speaking real from experience, there were times where, you know, we felt like, hey, we've got too many third basemen. And, you know, the draft was a little unpredictable. And, you know, you, you have a really a very real conversation with the family of, hey, like, are you OK not, you know, being behind this player as it stands right here? And if the family says, hey, we want to go play right away then what we would do is get on the horn and call contacts across division one and see if we could find a good landing place for this player. So I I'm excited about this. I don't, I don't, the one thing I don't like about the transfer portal, Andrew, is it's just so yeah. impersonal. It's almost like careerbuilder.com or something, but back in the day we'd get on the horn and, you know, again, Ian Kinsler goes to Miami, Taylor holiday goes to UC Irvine and goes to Omaha with those guys. And um, those are a couple examples that are top of mind. But I think what happens is because the draft is so much smaller this year and the seniors come back, I, I think you said it beautifully, the top 50 programs probably have some talent that, you know, maybe they decide to leave for the sake of playing right away into that range of schools, 50 to 150. And, man, mm. those teams get really – they get really good real quickly. And, and that's good for the sport, by the way. I mean, when the Kent yep. States of the world and Stony Brook go to Omaha – Count me in on that, right? I mean, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Love to see Duncan in Omaha, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. The lefty. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm going to uh, read a little bit more of this because I think there's something here um, in the in the ruling that they laid down that we should we should talk talk about as well. So the council's decision gives individual individual schools the flexibility to make decisions at a campus level. The Board of Governors encouraged conferences and schools to take action in the best interest of student athletes in their communities. And now schools have the opportunity to do that. So you have a big time, you know, amount of experience with covering Pac-12 programs um, or, or sorry, Power Five, Power Five conference programs from Pac-12, SEC, ACC, Big 12. Um, you know, have you done any Big Ten stuff, too? Yeah. For, yeah. Okay. Actually, I'm, right. I'm kind of I'm kind of bummed. I had a big I had a. I just had like five Big Ten uh, games on my ESPN schedule this year that all got wiped out. Mm. Well, what are your thoughts, you know, because the Power Fives kind of, you know, act sometimes a little bit, uh, you know, differently um, and they just have different types of budgets. Um, do you think, you know, your your LSUs and your Ole Miss and your Mississippi States are just all going to fall in line and as a conference make a conference-wide you know, decision and approach to how they handle things? Or do you think some of these power five schools are just going to act independently on their own? Yeah, I think, I think, I don't think a conference, I would be surprised if a conference came in there and, and did an override on the council's decision. Yeah. And, and, I, and again, like we said earlier, for me personally, I love what the council did. What always scares me about NCA rulings like this is we go kind of in a, you know, create a level playing field mode. And mm -hmm. what that does is it reduce it restricts the resources that we make available to student athletes, 
and we never end up with a level playing field anyway, right? Like if yep. North Dakota State and Arizona State are recruiting the same player, there's a 99.9% chance that player's going to Arizona State, right? I mean, that's just, it's not a level playing field. One's in Fargo, one's in Tempe. No offense yep. to the Bison, who have an incredible football program. But the, um, you know what I'm saying? So yep. what I think is going to happen, Andrews, I mean, first of all, the football, you know, we, we, we're in the middle of a pandemic and how that impacts football season will, that will rule the day. You know, that is so much of the financing and the revenue driving of college sports. But I, what I like about this is, hey, if you're a school and you have a group of seniors that have come back in baseball, softball, whatever sport in the spring, and you feel like you can take a one-time financial hit and really step up for those kids and those families, the NCAA is saying, hey, go for it. That's a win. That's awesome. And yep. they're also saying if you're a school that, hey, between everything that's already happened and then this, you just can't afford to do that, then, hey, like, we get it. You know, that, that this is sometimes – this, this that's life, you know, that, you know, we, you're, you're in a job and you get furloughed or who knows, I mean, things happen. And so we hope that doesn't happen, but it, it's going to, you know, not every school is going to be able to afford that. But I, I just, I really appreciate that the NCA said, look, this is a, this is a really extenuating circumstance. These families have kind of, these kids have been, you know, left just completely sideswiped here. So if you're a school that can help these seniors that are going to play, you know, many of them are going to play, you know, competitive sports for the last time. If you can help them, help them. And if you can't, hey, we understand that, too. I, I just I, 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 I the more I talk through it, the more I appreciate that ruling. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm looking at now an article that Kendall Rogers wrote, um, you know, and he brought up a thing that we've been talking about in-house here at Sports Force, and that is that awkward conversation um, with maybe a player and a senior that maybe you don't want back at your at your university anymore because um, it's time to move on. Um, and we've already talked to a couple of college coaches that have already talked to some of their seniors and and said, you know, we we recommend that uh, you know that you move on. Um, and you know, so what Kendall says is the school could give, you know, a student athlete 0% if they wanted to, um, certainly leading to some awkward conversations and tough, tough decisions for student athletes. So he's not talking about, um, you know, just, I think only seniors, I think just in general, looking at, you know, how a coach could handle, this eligibility waiver across the board yeah and i think andrew that this so you know there's always the law of unintended consequences right and so you know as you read that example out i I had a couple thoughts i had you know okay let's say um uh you know university of malvern prep and you know i have five seniors that want to come back and i just can't afford for them to come back you know the school has said hey coach rooney the seniors we'd love to have them back Um, but we, we just don't, you know, Hey, let's be honest. Half of college baseball programs aren't even offering the whole 11.7 that they're allowed to offer. So I think there's going to be that. And then I think, okay, what happens with the one-time transfer rule has ramifications there. If my school says to Mike Rooney, the senior that, Hey, we don't, you, we'd love to have you back, but you can't, we don't have scholarship for you. Can I then transfer to another school and get scholarship. Now, I think if I did that, it would be part of the 11.7 uh, mm-hmm. limitation. Um, hey, some of these kids are, they're going to be, they're going to graduate or they graduate this summer. So they're a grad transfer. So then they don't yep. have to worry about the one-time transfer rule. But I would also say this, Andrew, like if, if I'm a coach and, and this is generalizing, but I, I do believe it in my heart of hearts. If I'm a coach and you're a senior that was just, was a great part. You were invested in our program. You're someone who's a positive attitude, who cares about the team. I'm going to have a real conversation with you about, Hey, we're going to forecast playing time, which we know is just a prediction, but here's what we think it's going to look like. If that played out, would you be okay with it in your last year of college sports? And if not, Hey, let's help you find a better place. Um, Now, again, 
I think the people that are just uninvited back, most often that's a, hey, like when you have when you didn't play in the last couple of years, it was not a good scene from a chemistry standpoint. I don't think that's fair to our program. I don't think that's fair to you because this is it. Like this is your last year to play. So we probably would have to agree to disagree on why you didn't play all the time. But at the same time, do we think sticking this out is the right thing or maybe it's time to move on? So, but Hey, like I, I, I think to your point, like these conversations are going to be part of it because college baseball is going to be very competitive next year. No doubt. And I think that one time transfer rule, it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, when they decide on how they're going to open up the portal and what, what the plan is of action for that, because, um, you know, I know from just talking with so many college coaches during the summer, typically a college is having one or two people looking at the portal every day for for more players, you know, dropping into the portal, um, to be able to contact. And there's some, (laughs) you know, we, we know the inner workings of, of college baseball. Sometimes there's even prearranged deals that are done before even a kid gets on the portal. And, um, That'll that'll always be the case because, you know, at the end of the day, relationships um, kind of run the game uh, in terms of just information um, and yeah. you know, people talk and, and people get inside information and your network as, as a college baseball program, your network of who you can get good information from um, is so valuable to your recruiting process. And that's not even just you know, good information from that actual player, from that family. It's just from other contacts that you have to get insight on where they are and what they're thinking, because there were some big time players that transferred from big time schools last year that were, um, had, were starting middle of the order players, you know? So, but, um, I'm with you, man. Your, your, your references is everything. You know, if Murph taught us one thing in recruiting, it was just that, Hey, like everybody thinks they're the best scout that was ever born, but Mm. you're just not. And (laughs) your contacts are with these kids every day. They know their history. Um, Mm. They know their families. And, you know, getting to know your contract contacts and the people you trust and which way they lean, you know, that that is the essence of recruiting to me. It's it's um. You know, we always want to put eyeballs on a player and we always want to have our own conversations, no doubt. I mean, you always have to trust your gut instincts. But, man, it's just um, having good contacts, having people you trust. It's really the difference between having a great program and having a program that zigzags all over the place. Because I, I can't tell you how many times, Andrew, where you, 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 in your mind you're thinking, no way, I need another second baseman like I need a hole in my head. Uh, like this is just a no-go and then you have a good contact that's telling you never forget this at phoenix college a good contact Mm. um mike zunica from saint rita's in in chicago and he's telling me about this kid david wire and um and i'm like mike i love you but i have 72 second basemen right now which is exaggerated clearly but he's like i'm just telling you this wire kid is a special kid and i i told him hey i'm gonna pass i literally called him back later that night and said, I'm in, can I have wires contact info? Cause the more I thought about it, I was like, yeah. your contacts are everything. And that kid, we won the state that year. And that kid was in the middle of everything. It was the best reverse decision I ever made. And it was to your point, it was about contacts. Yeah. Because this game is such a game of understanding what the makeup is of a young man. Um, no doubt. And you can't get clear on on the makeup and what what drives you know the inside of a player and how much they're gonna you know just incrementally look to improve and tackle their player development process and you know put two feet in and two you know for the team and just yet yet as a college coach you're going I need more of those dudes I need you know I need to find them but yeah. how can you find them? when you're friggin' only getting a limited window on your recruiting calendar to go see players in person and then tournaments are on 12 different fields on for one tournament and your your head's on a friggin' swivel trying to get you know two innings watching this arm and then you're going to get an AB for this kid from 
you know, Washington or this, you know, it's just, it's just crazy. So yeah, the, um, you know, the ability for coaches to get better information, um, from better, you know, from better contacts, better resources that they can trust. And now I would say, how can you get as much objective information uh, as possible? And we're seeing with players that we're working with, we're, we're requesting our, our, our pitchers. It's like, dude, if you can get a Rapsodo report, like we're all over it because college coaches appetite for modern metrics has exploded in terms of giving them more ammo to make better decisions. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, I'm preaching to the choir on this, Andrew, but it's like, um, you know, the, the way recruiting works most often is you hear about a player, Andrew Beinbrink, and you hear, you know, if you're, you're at a school and you hear that, Hey, this kid's a really good middle infielder from San Diego. And by the way, these three schools are on him pretty hard. And so, you know, you're that school that just heard about Andrew Beinbrink. You're feeling like, Hey man, this, this guy's getting ready to get married. I, I got to make a quick decision here. So I need all the information I yep. need to make a decision in one place, super organized, accessible, so I can do my homework, do my due diligence and get in the game. Because again, I don't have two weeks to do my due diligence. In two weeks, Andrew Beinbrink has committed to one school and already called the other two schools and said, thanks and, and see you down the road. So I'm with you, man. It's, it's um, just, just having a random approach to recruiting is, um, you know, and here's the other thing, again, preaching to the choir is, hey, I'm not recruiting one shortstop to get one shortstop. I'm recruiting Andrew Beinbrink and Josh McKinley and Brooks Conrad. And then, you know, mm-hmm. if I can't if I can't find out find out who Andrew Beinbrink is, I may offer Josh McKinley over that weekend, and then he says yes, and it's over. So, you know, again, yeah. it's it's um, being I, I think being organized and recruiting is so critical because these decisions are made at, you know, it, it, they're made at lightning speed. No doubt, and I think what players and parents often underestimate is, you know, how many shortstops catchers, outf- you know, center fielders, uh, pitchers, um, and other positions that one college, you know, recruiting coordinator and assistant coach and head coach are talking to at the same time when they might only have one spot for a catcher. I mean, in our experience, and Brad Hill, who's on our staff, you know, former K-State head coach, Big 12, 30-plus um, years of college coaching, he would say, and this is at K-State, this isn't, you know, the – national powerhouse he was saying per one spot he was actively talking with usually 10 to 12 players so if Mm -hmm. he needs a catcher for his 22 class or 21 class talking at at the same time with sometimes 10 to 12 players per position no doubt you know because there's so many things you know i think not that you're a pessimist as in coaching but you just you learn very quickly that hey like of those 10 kids you know three of them probably aren't the right academic fit three mm-hmm. of them you're not your school's not the right fit for them you know two of them um you know you really want but but they they pick somebody else who's a really good program and then maybe now you're down to two of them that end up being a good fit so yeah yep. it's it's um the, the expression i hear a lot from coaches is you better cast a big net because mm-hmm. the, the, this is not you know, you're not harpooning one fish and go home and, and eat dinner. I mean, you, you this is recruiting is tricky. It moves fast um, and, and you, you better have options. Absolutely. And on the flip side, as a, as a player and family going through the process, you know, if you're thinking that, OK, I'm going to keep it narrow and keep it tight, you know, to to five schools and just really laser focus on those five schools. It's like, well, are those five schools actually you know, realistic schools for you to consider, uh, number one. Number two, are they still recruiting you in your position? Um, and where are you on your recruiting timeline? And it's like, because we have families that submit a target list to us and we'll be like, okay, you got 10, 15 schools on your list. And, and we're just like, half of these are dream schools. Like mm-hmm. they're already they're already ahead of you because of early recruiting. Um, and you know, the other half are kind of reach and maybe a few realistic schools. It's like the need to build out a realistic uh, and and reach list of schools as opposed to the the never ending Omaha list of schools that, uh, yep. that that some players and 
you know, I can't fault them to their own. They've never been through the process. And if you, most most young men have and, and parents have never been to go check out a game at that caliber of play, or they haven't even go to see a local, you know, D2, D3 or junior college game. Yeah. And, and I would say the way I've always thought of it, Andrew, is the, um, you know, when you when you get into the recruiting process, the very first question, if not the first question, one of the first questions a college coach is going to ask your son is, hey, who else is recruiting you? Mm-hmm. And the answer to that question has an impact. You know, it's going to impact how um, mm. much urgency I recruit you with. It's going to impact the size of the financial, you know, we've all, we, I've always thought this, that the scholarships don't, the biggest scholarships don't go to the best players. They go to the most heavily recruited players. Because all, all the scholar, the scholarship is not me putting a value on your son's ability. It's, yeah. it's a bidding mechanism. You know, sure. if, if there's five other schools that are recruiting your son and I have to give 78% because that's what the other schools are making me give to be in the game, then that's what happens. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's the, that, that's tricky is, a lot of times people have a small target list for the right reasons. They don't, they, they don't want to feel like they're leading people on. But at the same time, you know, that, that's the way this world works. You know, coaches are looking – they're casting a wide net. And yep. it, I, I agree 100% with you. The families need to do that as well. Yeah, and just be, be open-minded be open to potentially multiple levels if, if you're not, you know, kind of that clear and evident um, Division One prospect – um, and yeah, you know, Murph used to always say, and I don't know if you ever, uh, he said this when you were coaching there, but he was like, you know, when we make an offer, like, um, you know, we don't negotiate scholarship offers and this is just, <laughs> this is just how we, how we do things at ASU and da, 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 da. Right. You remember, did he ever? Yeah. 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 That was, that was, um, yeah, I guess I guess the devil's in the details, right? It's all about how you define the word negotiate. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you 100%. Like if if um, like I think of Colin Curtis who played in the big leagues. Like if we yeah. were thinking we were offering him 60%, and then we found out that the U of A was offering 80%, and he was thinking about committing there, I don't know if we call that negotiation. But he's not getting 60% anymore. That offer's going up. Yeah, that that was exactly my story with Murph. Um, so, you know, for me, it came down to ASU, Stanford and U of A. And um, I just totally saw myself, you know, coming to ASU and being a Sun Devil. But Stanford put together a big package. Right. Yeah. And once once Murph heard that package, he he upped his offer. It's like <laughs> I didn't even have to negotiate anything. That's right. That's right. Leverage does all the negotiating for you. No doubt. Um Let's see what else we got. I know I want to touch on the draft a little bit because I think that there's actually before we jump into that, let's give kind of the Juco bandits a little bit of love because you got some yeah. juke in your heart um, yeah. and yeah. we love junior, junior college baseball. So how do you think um, junior college baseball is going to be impacted uh, relative to this ruling and and everything that we're talking about tonight? Yeah, I would say um, there's still a little bit of clarity that. I saw this come up on Twitter where, okay, so if I'm a sophomore at junior college, I, I get my sophomore year back of junior college baseball. But as I understand it, if I transfer to a division one that I've committed to, I don't get that year back. I'm transferring over as a junior. So I think that's going to have to be worked through. But I would say this, Andrew, and I think it does tie into the draft. You know, and this is editorial on my part, but it is clear in my mind that Commissioner Manfred really thinks highly of college baseball, mm-hmm. Division One, junior college, you name it. And he would like to have less of the short season minor league teams and just have college baseball be that level. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, and it, it helps with the analytics. You know, the college players are higher percentage as far as draft success goes, there's more metrics available for them. And, and we, you know, we will have high school players sign in the draft. The last three years, it's been about 140 high school players per year have signed to go professional right away. I think that number probably gets cut in half over the next five years or so. But mm-hmm. I think where I'm going with this for the junior colleges is that it's going to be good for everybody. Hey, more talent in Division One baseball, more talent in junior college baseball. 
Um, you know, I, I think the junior college level is, you know, I, I firmly believe that 99.9% of kids should go to college before they become a professional baseball player. Um, but I don't mean just division one. I. I think for some kids, junior yeah. college is actually a better spot for them at this time. You know, maybe I'm a kid with a big arm, but command is something I need to work on. Hey, you're a junior college where you're going to play 20 fall games and inner squad every day and play 56 in the spring and you, you have a lot more leash. I think that's actually a better fit. So I think the short answer is, you know, as I interpret Commissioner Manfred's dream for this whole thing, uh, you know, I think it's I think college baseball gets better as a result of that. Now, we're going to have some short term hiccups. There's no doubt this is going to be mm. a tough next 24 months, I bet. But um, I think, you know, there's the, the, the college baseball as a game, I think, is going to really grow. And that's not just going to be at the Division one level. Yeah, 100 percent agree. And, you know, the JUCO route, um, there's just a tremendous amount of good junior college baseball, you know, all over the country and at, and at different levels, um, you know, and some of these junior college programs can offer scholarships. So if you're a parent player listening um, now, junior college baseball that offers scholarships, those are pretty good programs uh, that recruit yeah. a, lot, a lot earlier and a lot more widespread than people think. Um, I think sometimes, you know, JUCO gets a little bit of the, of the rap of, oh yeah, JUCO is just like my total backup route. And, you know, I can just kind of walk on, you know, just enroll at the JUCO and make the team. It's like, dude, some of these JUCO teams are, are stacked. Um, yeah. And they recruit and you could be, you know, in, on the wrong side of the numbers game, even at the junior college level. We know plenty of programs that bring in 50, 60, you know, guys into a JUCO fall. Um, and there's a lot of casualties from there. So the big takeaway, I think, is as a family and uh, in this going through this process is you got to be willing to ask the difficult questions in the recruiting journey. Know what those questions are and be able to get just the clarity before you make such a big decision because the ramifications of you choosing a school at whatever level it ends up being and it not being the right fit becomes not only disruptive to your, your child's sports career and athletic career, it can be very disruptive to their academic career. It can be disruptive to your financial you know, savings as a family when you're expecting three to four years at a certain scholarship percentage, and then you're only there for a fall semester, and then you're bounced, you know, and you're going somewhere else, like it's a huge wake up call. Um, and so take this to heart that, um, doing some more due diligence on the front end and really qualifying, you know, that decision, because there was a statistic in terms of just the NCAA recruiting portal, uh, across all sports. We saw a statistic where only 17% of the, of the student athletes in the recruiting portal last year, actually ended up successfully transferring to another division one or division two program. That means 83% doing the math of those student athletes either were going to a junior college or they're hanging it up and their college sports career is done. Yeah, it's tough. I, I love what you said there, Andrew, asking the tough questions. And I think, Hey, easy for me to say sitting here right now, but you know, I, I think the, the it really, it, it takes a lot of wisdom and, and it's the right thing to do as a family to ask some good people, Hey, wh where do you see us fitting into college baseball? And, you know, it doesn't mean, hey, like if somebody says, hey, I think you need to go to junior college, I think that'd be the best place for your son's academic and, you know, mental and social and baseball development. You know, yeah. I, I think you ask several people and you, 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 you know, I, because I, I, I think you probably feel the same way, but I feel like some families, and I get it because it's the dream, but they, they, they ask you, hey, like, what do you think? Can, I, can my son play at Arizona State? Yes or yes? You know, and it's like, <laughs> Yeah. Well, okay. So I guess we're going to go for Arizona State. But yeah, I, I think I think asking the hard questions throughout the process, asking those of yourself, asking mm -hmm. that of people around your son, like, hey, what if, if it was your son? What 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 would what, what he think? Um, yep. And then you know, it, when you're looking at places, asking tough questions, I think that's that's there's a ton of wisdom in that. Yeah, and I had no idea that my journey and you know after playing professionally was going to end up being 
you know, having a, a, re a recruiting, you know, company and, and being so in the trenches in this process, like we didn't even start this business 11 years ago thinking we were going to do this. We were doing scout day workouts and getting metrics and just shooting videos. Um, and then families had so many questions. Um, how good is my kid? You know, what camp should we go to? When, when is the recruiting process, you know, start for, you know, different levels? And I think, you know, as, as we continue to just try to provide as much education as possible in this process, um, being willing to get an honest uh, assessment of where you are in this process. And that means where your son or daughter is um, athletically. That means where they are with their skill development. Um, that means where they are academically. And that means where they are in the recruiting timeline. And then what your family's college kind of financial goals are as well. That's like a holistic evaluation and assessment to going, okay, now we know where we are. Um, and what can we do from here? And it might mean just train more. You're not ready for any recruiting related activities. It might mean, hey, your target list is totally unrealistic. You got to do a about face and, and, and pivot in another direction. Um, but, you know, with all of your experience in, in this recruiting process, and we're going to wrap it up here. And I think we can probably do a part two. Um, for sure. Because, sure. because I guarantee you there's going to be a lot of questions and a lot of comments coming in uh, from this. But um, what are you seeing outside of like, you know, being unrealistic, not casting a large enough net, um, just some of these, you know, I guess, pivotal mistakes that uh, that families and players are, are, are making in this process? Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, it's may maybe not getting honest feedback from good people mm. as far as what 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 are realistic options. I think, you know, I think at the end of the day, it really boils down to um, if you make the decision, if the family makes the decision just without outside noise, you know, like they just they, they, they're able to just block all that out and say, hey, I don't care. If at the end of this, we announce that we're going to the University of Nova Scotia or if we're going to the University of Miami, we're making the bet. We're going to find the best fit because that's what it's about. It's really about fit. Um, the school, the academic profile, the social life, the culture of that team. That's really what you're trying to find is the right fit at the end of the day. You know, I think that that's a big part of it. I think, you know, not having, you know, just just kind of going through the recruiting process with a hope and a prayer, you know, and, and I just think that, you know, that old expression, hope is not a plan. And, and I just, I think it's, um, you know, there's that, that old myth out there that if you're good enough, they're going to find you. Mm. And I just, I like, I, I get it. Yeah. Like if, if my son is Mike Trout, yeah, they're going to find him, but you know what? Like Mike Trout's a generational player. They're they're that like, mm. that's a bad analogy. So I, I think, you know, it, it's, that's really, it's, this is not always about being found. This is about you helping you find the right fit and helping a school find the right fit for them. It's, and I, I think that's what it, it boils down to really. And, and um, man, it, it's, it just, it's one of those things for me by anywhere, uh, you know, going through the recruiting process on your own, man, it, it's a life. It's a, it's a decision that affects your son's it's the, it's going to affect the, the rest of your son's life in many ways you know, possibly who that your son's spouse is going to be, who the people that stand next to him in that wedding, his best friends for life, his career, all those types of mm -hmm. things. And man, I, I wouldn't want to wing that. I, I would want, you know, I, I would want as much guidance and as much wisdom as I can get my hands on there. Um, Cause it's just, it's just too important of a decision to just kind of roll the dice and hope for the best. I'm going to dogpile on you on uh on one more point of that, that I think still gets under evaluated or under um, undervalued, right? And that is, so imagine you're a student athlete or you're the parent of a student athlete. They step onto campus, you know, freshman year, and immediately they have a network of other student athletes that are pursuing their goals academically and athletically. Um, they're able to get acclimated to that new environment, first time living away from home, 
all the adjustments, you know, doing your laundry for the first time, managing a budget, um, waking up, having, you know, weights in the morning, classes, practice, study hall, all of those things. But imagine them being able to do it with other young men and young women in the process together. Then take that further and then go, okay, now my child is able to graduate from that school. And then the legacy of alumni that are part of that institution and that university, it's not just going to school and graduating from, you know, SC or Dartmouth or wherever as a normal student. You're graduating from that school as a student athlete, and there's this whole embedded alumni program and an alumni network that many of those alumni are business owners, CEOs of companies, um, hiring managers, athletic directors, you know, and I just think back to, you know, going to ASU and what I do now, like, dude, it's like my network is across every level of college sports and college baseball, where it just feeds the dream of what I'm trying to do with my life because of where I went to school. Um, and, you know, I had an opportunity to you know, turn down, you know, a good bonus out of high school with the Red Sox and, and went the college route. And there were a number of reasons for it. But yeah, I, I agree with you that um, this decision is just, uh, it, it, it impacts the rest of the life of, of, a, of a young man or young woman and, and an entire family as well. Um, so no doubt. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you this, Sandra, to, to put a bow on that. It's, you know, I went to college a long time ago and, you know, people get excited when they hear you played college baseball, but you know, what's funny, never once in my life has someone asked me what my batting average was. Mm. It's really, they ask me about, Hey, did you know this person? Or did you know mm. that person? That my, my favorite thing about baseball is it makes the world so much smaller and that, you know, to your point, I can't tell you, it's an infinite amount of times that that's helped me in my career and in my life. And so, um, man, I mean, the playing experience was a blast. It was so fun. But as far as the functionality for the rest of my life, it was just, it was about the people I met and, and the friends I, I gained. That's what, it, that's where, that's what it was about. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, <laughs> We covered a lot of stuff today, and I want to leave a cliffhanger because I think um, we, if we pick up part two of this, I, I think that um, I just got a text message from one of our guys who is 34 years with the MLB Scouting Bureau talking about the MLB draft and what they're proposing and the signing bonus maximums um, and the limits of the rounds and, you know, the leverage that could be lost, you know, based on certain, you know, kids going through this process, that's like a whole nother realm of, yep. uh, of conversation. And obviously as, as more of these, um, more news and more information, you know, comes out, it's, we got to, we're dealing with a little bit of a moving target, but I got to imagine major league baseball from what we've heard so far is that they're leaning toward, you know, more college players, uh, in, in, you know, in terms of drafting more, maybe even more than the normal, what I would say kind of 85 to 88%, you know, on the draft side, because, because mm -hmm. they have more data, they just yeah. have way more data on these players. And we all know where baseball is nowadays, you know, you want to value your investments um, and feel that you're going to get the best possible ROI. No doubt. And, and, you know, I think the other thing is the minor leagues, there's, I mean, there's nothing, there's a ton of great people in the minor leagues, but just for me, again, my biased opinion they're just not equipped to take a – the minor leagues is equipped to take an 18-year-old baseball player to a 23-year-old baseball player. What I worry about is they're not equipped to take an 18-year-old kid and turn him into a 23-year-old man. Like, mm -hmm. I, if, if it was my son, I want that part of his development to happen mm -hmm. on a college campus. People that are educators and, and you know, that's their world. And I think if, if my son grows into the man that I hope he would be – then the baseball is going to kind of take care of itself. So again, and I'm biased. I, I you know, I, I, I understand that it's, that's not the right uh, choice for every family, but I would say it this way, Andrew is right now we're averaging 140 high school kids per yeah. year that sign a pro contract. I, I, I love that our families have that option. I think that's important to our sport. 
But the yep. truth is zero basketball players mm. that go right from high school to the pros. Now that might change, but I would say this, if it was 50 high school players per year that were signed in a pro contract, I think that's probably a more reasonable number than 140. That just my opinion though. Sure. And I would say, you know, this is another topic we can dive deeper into, but one thing that I, and I talked to Danny Burrell about this because he had that, you know, we did an interview with him and he's got that long track record of being with the Yankees. And I said, Danny, I was like, so if I'm in high school and I'm a pitcher, I'm a hitter, I'm a catcher, um, and I'm really looking to take my game to the highest possible level, then I want to know who I'm going to be working with relative to my player development plan, what their philosophy is, what type of technology they're using, how I'm going to just continue to up-level, you know, my game. And you don't know who's going to draft you coming out of high school. You don't have choices on who's going to select you, you know, unless you're just, you know, one of Boris's guys and you're kind of a freak anomaly where you got, you know, leverage like that and you can do that. But you choose where you want to go to college and you choose your player development environment. You choose kind of the, the culture of the program. Um, and I think that again, is an under evaluated um, and valued, you know, point in that, in that process between that college and pro decision. So we can dive deeper on a lot of stuff runes. Um, and I, and listen, I, I appreciate you taking the time Um always love our conversations at the ABCA and just talking shop. And, uh, you know, I think this is what, this is what the community needs more now than ever before is just, you know, good baseball, um, kind of education and, and, and leadership and, and people talking about these things and just putting everything on the table because, you know, the emotions that families are feeling right now, um, it is, you know, a roller coaster ride to say the least. For sure. Yep. No, hey, anytime, man. This was a blast. Always, I'm with you, man. It's always, I always, I cherish our conversations. It's fun to put one on tape. So, gotta love it. No doubt. Well, if anybody's, you know, listening that has a question, has a comment, wants to be able to, you know, make sure that maybe we cover a topic if we pick up part two of this, leave a comment. You know, if this is on Twitter, you see it on, you know, Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn, wherever it is. leave a comment uh, relative to you got another question, you know, just ask anything. If we didn't go deep enough into some topic, um, we're going to do it. Uh, That's, that's what we're committed to. And, um, you know, just uh, glad we're able to kind of shine some light, you know, today with this monumental decision that the NCAA has made to help, I think, preserve the sanctity uh, of college baseball and, and, and the spring sports. Um, So, you know, with that said, Runes, uh, have a great rest of your evening, buddy. And um, we will be in touch, my man. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for being part of the Realities of College Recruiting podcast and our partner, Five Tool Baseball. You can easily subscribe on iTunes and check us out online at Sports Force Baseball for every past episode of our podcast. If you want to ask questions, share insights, and recommend future guests, hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at SportsForceBB and Facebook under SportsForce Baseball. Be sure to join us on our next episode of the Realities of College Recruiting Podcast. And remember, your college decision isn't a four-year one, it's a 40-year one.